When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunnawardner, and joining me in today's episode is Brandon Truax, the founder of company Decium. Now, Decium is an umbrella company under which there are many beauty brands, uh, a couple that I'm sure you'll know are The Ordinary and Niod. Now, The Ordinary in particular has been called a disruptor. It has really changed a lot of the ways that people buy beauty or think about beauty, definitely consumers. I've definitely had a lot of emails from um, listeners who are saying that it's kind of changed how they approach their skincare. And I guess that's the aim. They are known as the abnormal beauty company, uh, Decium, and they have a unique approach. They really do. And that's really what Brandon talks about in this episode. But as he says, they simplify things, but in simplifying it, it gets complex. So, I mean, he talks very quickly. Um, so keep up is all I'm going to say. Even I was like, Brandon, what? But anyway, um, it was a real pleasure to speak to him, actually, Um uh, we've been trying to get together for a while to record this podcast, so I was so pleased to be able to actually commit this to audio for you guys. Um, and actually, this week, after the recording, I spent some time with the Decium family, and it was such a pleasure, such a pleasure. It's such a well-oiled machine. Everyone in the company is on their A-game, um, and it was just such a pleasure to be around them and to be working with them. And actually something I discovered this week, if you go to their website, the Decium website, and um, you go to the company profile page, there's a whole page, a massive, massive page, and it's just a grid of all of the people who work for the company, and it's a square grid, and it takes up a lot of space. And at the top, it says um, something along the lines of, uh, to see people in order of importance, click here, because it's just very random. And so if you click on it... I was looking for Brandon's profile. There's a lot of people. I thought, oh, that would be quite easy. So I, I fell for it. If you click on it, a monkey appears, which is just kind of, they really have, 
this lovely approach of uh, very being very collaborative, and that's definitely a feeling that um, I was privy to when I was spending time with the team this week. But what else has been happening before we get into the chat with Brandon? Well, the Victoria Beckham makeup launch this week. Um, if you are a regular listener to the show, you'll know that I actually went to meet Victoria a couple of months ago and uh, she talked me and some other journalists through the collection. All I can say is, if you love beauty products and you would want to buy the Victoria Beckham collection when it launched, then you're not going to be disappointed. And equally, if you just dismiss it as another brand with a famous person's name on, I urge you to think again. I I went in, not as a skeptic, but just thinking, an eyeshadow is an eyeshadow, and a luxury eyeshadow is a luxury eyeshadow. Really, she's going to bring out a nice collection, but is it going to be anything special? And I had to eat my words, literally, because the textures are incredible, the formulas are amazing, the eye foils are next level. And I'm not saying that um, because I've been hoodwinked, because it's been a couple of months since I sat in that room and got all starry-eyed about being in the same room as Victoria Beckham, but there there is something really impressive about the products that she's producing. Um, the Morning Aura, the highlighter from the first drop, is literally went on, went out, came out and was just an instant icon. So I encourage you, if um, you're curious, definitely go and find a counter, pop your finger in and have a play. Also this week, um, I don't think I've ever seen a product socialed as much. And socialed meaning I saw so many people doing Instagram posts about uh, the new Tom Ford fragrance, which is called Fucking Fabulous. I saw it and regardless of how the juice smells, I would buy that if, I mean, I think the entry level uh, for this um, fragrance is £205, but I would buy it because some mornings, we all know that feeling, some mornings you just wake up, you get ready and it might be in a bit of a daze and you might be grumpy and you might be thinking, I wish it was Saturday. And to be able to spray yourself with fucking fabulous might just put you in a better mood. So, um, I will talk about how it smells um, on emmaguns.com in the show notes, but um, it's it's lovely, obviously, it's from the house of Tom Ford, what can I say? But um, yeah, I mean, come on, a beautiful black Tom Ford bottle with a label on that says fucking fabulous. Sorry about the bad language. I, It's what it's called, effing fabulous, I apologise, but um, it is pretty incredible uh, and it just made me think, yeah, no, I absolutely want that, thank you very much. So uh, those are the other two things that I've been playing with this week, beauty-wise, and I've been busy recording many other podcasts, my friends. So get ready, there are some really amazing shows coming up. But in this episode, as I said, it's Brandon. It's all about Brandon, the founder of Desiem. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoy the show, please do head over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And as ever, if you want to get in touch with me, it's so simple. Email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or DM me on any of my social channels and I do try to get back to you as quickly as possible. So here he is, Brandon Truax, founder of Desiem, on The Emma Gunn Show. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Thank you. Really um, my pleasure. How do we say your surname? Truax. Truax. So as it's spelt. As it's spelt. Yeah, you're lucky you don't have a surname like mine, which uh, is um, 
not as it's <laughs> um, Oh, it isn't? No, it's oh. Gunnar, it looks like Gunnar Vardhana, but it's Gunnar Wardner, hence Emma Guns. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Geez. Well, I like Guns better. It's easy to pronounce and, and it means something. So. <laughs> it makes me sound like a badass, which I am obviously not. But Caroline Hirons basically christened that. Right, 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 right. Yes. In, in a text that was all in capitals, just saying, buy the domain name now. So it's Caroline. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you because I feel like Thank there you. is so much to talk to you about. <laughs> Uh, the beauty industry is bad boy, the disruptor of all things <laughs> industry. But right. I've only been good, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> uh, disruptor doesn't mean bad. Um, right, you are, what's your job title? Um, I guess CEO, but I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I'm the founder. <laughs> right, of Desium. Yeah. But Desium is not just one thing. How many brands do you have within the company? Um, I guess we've got we've got lost we've lost count, but I think it's eleven now, and we've got three more brewing. But it's it's really in a way in a way it's one brand, which is kind of we want the company to be known for innovation uh-huh. and become the leader in functional beauty, and then each brand kind of becomes like a a categorization that has its own values and its own principles. So so in a way, it, it's to me it's one brand, uh, but it's got kind of different personas that allow you to do things in a certain way and the persona is kind of what makes it stand out in many ways like it's the abnormal beauty company right right it's packaging it's logos everything right a a very it's a language and a way of speaking to the consumer that is unusual and new and different right right it's it's a bit you know i guess in a way it's complicated in, in in comparison to other beauty brands but i think um you know the beauty business there are four kind of high-level segments in my mind. There's the color category, there's uh, fragrance, there's lifestyle, and then there's functional beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be leaders in functional beauty. And, and to me, um, that makes our product chemistry and not beauty. And so, um, in a way, what we say that may seem complicated is actually a simplified form of science. If you look at the beauty business, generally you don't find that uh, you've got We've got the whole company. We've got four, five people in marketing and fourteen chemists, because we don't want to be a marketing company. We want to be a chemistry company, and that's that's kind of why some people may perceive our communication to be very overly scientific. Mm. It's just our company. That is what we're selling. And how? Because I've done research on you, so I know that you worked within a company before, and there were beauty products. Right. <clears throat> what What was the nugget for this idea? What was um, the, the, what was the business plan? Uh, well, there really wasn't. I think I think business planning, and if you if you if you can predict the future, you should just relax and buy buy stocks. Uh, planning ultimately is good for the day, and but you want to have at least a concept of what it is that you think you can make better, mm-hmm. and, and and what that looks like. And I think that that in the category of functional beauty, um, I think there's been a lot of missing integrity. See, I think beauty as a just whole. To stop yes, here, functional beauty. Would you describe as products that have a, a visible effect uh, right so basically products that ultimately are, are not trying to cover things up okay. uh, and so they don't have a in a way uh, it's not just about instant pleasure mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and that's actually the only category of beauty that I think doesn't have as much integrity as it should if you look at color cosmetics I think it's actually a very innovative category full of integrity because it says the color is red you apply it you like the color you like the brand in fact what you're paying for is the association with the brand and how something is perceived there's a lot of intangible to it um, 
Uh, if you look at the lifestyle category, again, you smell, you wash your body, as long as you like the fragrance, you don't smell anymore. Mm -hmm. The transaction finishes, you, you are happy with your, uh, same thing with fragrance. Um, in functional beauty, which largely has been kind of classified as skincare, but it is actually evolving into uh, body care and hair care that kind of reflects or focuses on the health of uh, the skin and the hair as opposed to just sort of a cover-up or uh, fragrance, um, has been really all about fluff, has been, you know, these magical sea creatures that secreted something and it kind of, and it just, the reality is it is basically a less regulated form of medicine. That's basically what it is. Okay. Um, and, and technology in that category has evolved dramatically mm -hmm. um, and very quickly. And yet, um, for some reason, people are much more, brands are much more focused on, you know, new colors and new techniques, techniques and new little bubbles that are hanging in the water as opposed to, you know, what is it that, that we're actually doing? And I think what we're doing indirectly even for, I mean, some people really love the SCM and with that territory comes some people that really hate you and say, what is this complicated stuff? But indirectly, we actually do end up encouraging um, research by the consumer, education to kind of understand. You can actually launch a product that someone knows nothing about, may not even want to know about, but the fact that you've actually put it out there that there is something called ferulic acid would make some go and research what it is and actually draw their own conclusions about what something can do or can't do and why it might be good. I think that form of indirect education is actually one of the biggest things that SEM is doing, mm. uh, more than just selling product. But, but having, as it was so different, right. the proposition was so different from traditional skincare, Right. what was the trigger that made you say, I'm going to put simple ingredient-led formulas together that are what they say on the tin. So you've got your hyaluronic complex and you've got um, your ferulic acid. Right. Why did you decide to do it that way? Um, just really to trigger the honesty because it's, it's a form of simplicity that's actually very complex. Simplicity generally is, is only simple if what you're talking about is simple. Uh, if, you're, if you have simplicity about something that's complicated, then actually it's going to sound complicated. But where it really came from, um, I mean, I studied computer science in university, and in, in, in my world of geekness, things are zero or one. I mean, a computer, something either does something or doesn't. There isn't some gray area that it might do this on a Tuesday afternoon. Um, in the world of functional beauty, I mean, it was the exact opposite. There is no zero or one. It was all just gray woo-ha. Um, but the reality is it doesn't need to be. If you really think about... Again, I draw comparisons to medicine um, only because, to me, it is just less regulated medicine. If you look at the world of medicine, you go to a doctor and you say you've got a condition. The doctor tells you, look, today in technology world, we have this solution for it. It may have these side effects. This is the cost of it. It might work, it might not. You might have a reaction. These are the known facts. Nobody believes that medicine is a scam world. You can do the same thing in beauty. You can say, look, we've got these things. It works in this way. It can do this. And these are the potential reactions. And people will then build trust and understand. People will take the time to understand. Um, and I think that the world is evolving in that direction where um, you don't need to take advantage of lack of knowledge of people. You can actually work with people to use knowledge as a means of marketing. Um, and then, but the only price you need to pay to be that kind of a company is just like medicine is as it evolves, because if a new solution comes to a medical condition, everybody switches to that. You need to keep up with it. You can't just say, I've launched this product for the next 25 years. This is the be all and end all because it's, it's like if Apple launches iPhone 9 and say, 
this is it for the next 20 years. Well, a year into it, they're not going to exist anymore. <laughs> it's, it's the same thing, really. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, why so many... I'm just imagining your brain. You talk about zero one. You, you've created a lot of products. Mm -hmm. So how does your... You talked about planning. How do you say, right, this is going to go into the ordinary. This is going to go into... Neod. Right. Did I say it right? Is it Neod? Neod. Yep. No, Neod. Yep. Um, this is going to go in. How do you compartmentalize the functional right. beauty products? Right. Um, well, I guess the, the, the hardest part of that compartment because is. Because how many products have you. And do you create them? Are you the person who says, we need um, a product that does X? Right. So I'll answer that first. Mm -hmm. um, no, it's 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 never me purely. I'm I'm there to facilitate decisions to be made. So, um, through exposure to you know our chemistry team, the the marketing team, the um, the creative team, I've learned bits and pieces of all these components. I mean, I, I really spend about thirty percent of my time in a lab, which basically has become like a university education on its own, mm -hmm. because our chemists are amazing. They've all um, they've all studied biochemistry and materials chemistry, and I work with them so closely to understand their perspectives but then I also have the marketing aspect of what else what other products are on the market what is going on and what does the consumer want but ultimately what really is the strength of DCM is that we all sit in a room together our marketing team the chemistry team me and the creative team and discuss because what's really important is for me it's as important for our chemists to understand why a product is coming to market and what else is out there as it is for the marketing and creative team to understand what ferulic acid is. Mm. Um, the reason this is so important is because ultimately you actually bring creativity to product development and not just to creative. Because when I say, if I say creativity, most people think it means design. But actually, the person who's going to cure the next cancer is not the chemist with the most amount of knowledge. It's the chemist with the most creative ability to connect known knowledge and create new things. Uh, and this is a very important point. Creativity ultimately applies to any aspect of life, whether it's a new chemical development, a new model. I mean, to me, iPhone is very creative, not because it looks cool, because they've actually brought a lot of technology that was all there. I mean, the technology existed. Someone brought together and said, let's angle it in this way and it will solve this problem. Um, so when we sit together and bounce these ideas, one, the whole team is aware. Um, but two, it allows me to understand all, the, understand all the perspectives so I can make a quick decision because the most difficult decision actually is not to do something. To do something is actually a very interesting decision because it's good, this is an idea, we can do better, we can do this, it's fantastic. But to decide not to do something is the hardest one and that, that really what takes the most amount of time. Once we decide to do something, something the risk then is how long does it take to develop it? You have to go through the regulatory tests, the, the different tests around safety, and then you've got to bring it to market, obviously. That's why we brought all the components in-house. So we've got all of our regulatory team in-house, all of the, obviously, the lab team is in-house, the manufacturing is in-house, which, again, for, for a five-year-old brand, it's extremely rare to produce all your products in-house. But it gives us the flexibility. You know, you're launching a new product at Selfridges. Oh, big news, but really what you need is 100 units. Why do you need to produce 50,000 units, pay enormous amounts to a third party, and then be stuck with inventory because some products just won't sell as much? So then you start doing bad things. You start Inventory is the biggest problem in business. It will make you do very bad things. You'll discount products really heavily, um, which 
you know, one of the reasons our pricing model is actually quite honest is because we don't discount all the time. Mm. So really, it's almost like the discount is already included as opposed to being amortized over the year. Um, well, we must come back and talk about prices. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, so that's how we create new products. But in terms of the compartments, um, I mean, it's fairly easy because the brand, um, the brands are now kind of divided in a way where um, the ordinary, I mean, there's nothing ordinary about the ordinary products. What's ordinary so why about the name? it? Um, well, because what's really ordinary about it is that it's, it's technologies that are more known to the consumer. So in other words, um, the technology is not ordinary. Our work is ordinary. And, and that's actually very, being very honest. In a Neon product where you've got 20 ingredients that have almost never been used before, that are very complicated to start solubilize, bring in, very little is known about them. You have to do a lot of work. You do many, many trials. Many times they fail. You have to, I mean, the, the Neon repayment that I was mentioned to you earlier, this is the 50th version and every single one failed. Whereas when you look at the ordinary, I mean, a glycolic acid solution, we made three formulas, we did some tests around it, everything is known about it, you know what pH it needs to be for it to be effective, you know what the stability data is, you know what the safety data is. It takes a, a month and a half to formulate, whereas Neon can take three years to formulate a product. So what is ordinary is not the technology or the effect. What's ordinary is our effort to formulate because we know so much about it. Um, so we kind of just very honestly call it the ordinary, but they're actually very well-researched ingredients. If you want to be certain about something, the ordinary, I mean, is certainty is very well-studied. It's like... The vitamin C uh, comes to mind because... Right. It, it was only, I think, when I got the press release for that product and you and read that vitamin C is only effective at over 21%. 20%. Right, so the maximum effectiveness in water when it's soluble is about 21%. Mm. And so we're honest about it again. In the silicone version, it's 30%, not because you'll get 30%, because some of it will go to waste because it's silicone suspension. So ultimately, a suspension needs to dissolve in your own skin's moisture. But what it does is it puts that into, not just my head, but anyone who's looking at that's head of thinking, I bought vitamin C products in the past because it was on the front of the pot. Right. But was there actually any active vitamin C in it? And right. I think that's the, the door that Absolutely. the ordinary is open. Absolutely. Completely. And, and that all of a sudden triggers, um, I mean, the ordinary really just states the facts. Uh, and there, there's nothing controversial about people who start. The best thing for people to do is leave us alone with the ordinary because we're not claiming anything. We're really stating scientific. So when, when a brand or somebody starts bashing us saying, oh, this and that and that, we don't bash anybody directly. We write the facts, and some brands take it personally because they didn't study the chemistry, they kind of created the product. And sometimes the right thing to do is to say, look, it's a valid point. Let's update our formulation because this was missing. And it doesn't even mean that our product was bad, it's that it could have potentially been better. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's the, you know, what fits into the ordinary. The most difficult decision actually in the company um, when it comes to our products is deciding whether a product falls under neod or hylamide. Um, because they're both very complex formulations. It's just that hylamide is more focused on quicker results, whereas neod is really just focused on how do I respect my skin and, and kind of be effective but stay innocuous and be, allow the skin's health. The highest priority is for your skin to be healthy. And, and this is why I've always said, I mean, I. I'm a genuine believer 
that people in very poor countries that don't use as much skincare have healthier skin than people in the because we use too much. We're constantly cleaning and scrubbing and washing and acidifying, whereas your skin just needs to live. Um, and, and I think that's really important. So Neon is much more in that respect in that you're going to see, if you use a Hylomat product, you're going to see results much more quickly than a Neon product. Um, but, but Neon does bring in a lot more effort and technology around kind of effectively long-term maintenance of the skin. Um, but that division, I mean, it's a, it's a very blurry line there because we've got, um, you know, in Hylomite, we've got products that are so effective and, 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 and like we actually don't talk to them about, about them as much because Neon and Ordinary have been the focus of kind of our communication recently. Um, but but there are, I mean, if you take some of the instant products, some of the more longer term products, like our product, the um, pore control product is, I mean, there's nothing like it. We don't even mention it. Or actually, sorry, the, the one that's really unbelievable for the instant effect is pore delete, which... I mean, it will blow your mind away if you just apply it on one hand and the other one. You would just start being in a shock of saying, I can't believe I've never seen this product before. Um, and this is kind of the, the point I was trying to make earlier before the, before the podcast started in that, um, for me, it doesn't matter that we have a product that if we you know, market the hell out of it, it's going to really sell tons. A few people have discovered it. They love it. They follow it through. But I'm not in this game of trying to say, oh, every product needs to be maximized. It doesn't. You, there is an actually an element of, I enjoy having it, our team enjoy developing it, and the audience, our customer, actually enjoys exploring a bit and finding things, and all of a sudden there's newness. Uh, when you've got 300 products, I mean, you can't focus on marketing every, 300, every single one of them. And, and, and actually, I don't want every single one to be a top seller. It's not, it's not important. You, you want to have that variety. So interesting. <laughs> it is, it's so interesting because I called you the disruptor earlier because I know that that's a, a word that's been used about you because you kind of lived the dream in the sense of the traditional route to creating iconic beauty products or selling lots of products is the marketing, the buzz, the hype, and you've done it the other way. You, it's a completely new and different approach. Right. So why did you why did you think that you could make it in the beauty industry with a completely different approach? Um, well, it's not that, I mean, business, when you start a business, you, you can never be certain that you're going to make it. Well, because you've also bit... said downstairs, because um, listeners, we had a coffee before we began recording, you also referenced a couple of times to not seeing yourself as business or businessy or businessman and even a slight discomfort at saying that you're a CEO. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't... I, like I never studied business, I actually have a very difficult time understanding what business is. Mm. We're all people, and business kind of created this wall where like a corporation, I mean, if you, if something goes wrong with your, one of the products you bought, let's say from some brand somewhere, you wouldn't even think, oh, if I called them to, I'll get a phone line that will say press this, that, that, but you're just talking to a corporation. Ultimately, we all know that we're made up of people. Mm. People want to connect to people, and when we create a product, or when we plan on how to market something, what goes through my mind is not how does the business communicate. The only thing that goes through my mind is, I am a consumer, what am I buying? Mm. And, and ultimately, look, the consumer is the only boss of everybody. There are all these lawyers, big businesses, insurance companies, CEOs, CFOs, but really, the consumer on the street that decides to go back into the store and buy, spend 20 pounds, is the boss of everybody. So if you start to think as a consumer as opposed to a businessman, you're a person. So you think that's the difference between what you do and what other 
beauty brands or companies do? Um, especially at the later stages. I think entrepreneurship ultimately starts with a consumer. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what actually happens. As business evolves, the reason the entrepreneurship gets lost and, and then it just becomes a big corporate where nobody seems to you know, care anything about anything uh, is because you end up being a per- you, you stop being a person. Mm-hmm. You, you start being kind of a, an entity where the number one priority for you know, employees in a big corporation is to avoid being blamed and number two priority is to take credit, but not at the cost of being blamed. So nobody actually is trying to take any risk. Mm. And, and, and unfortunately, creation is risk because people may not buy. And, and yes, I see myself as a consumer, but there are many things that I love that many of my friends don't. I can't put myself in their head. I have to create what I love. Mm. And some may become ambassadors and see the world the way I do. And, and some won't. It's just you know, the truth to it. And the more you love what you're doing, the more you risk that someone is going to hate it. I mean, that, that's just a reality. The, the most effective way to never be hated is to create something very mediocre because then no one is going to really love it and no one is going to really hate it. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if you really fall in love with something, there's a chance someone is going to hate it. Um, but yeah, so I don't, going back to your question really, I, I don't, the reason I don't see myself as a businessman is because I don't, I, I don't know anything about business. Um, you, in starting a business, you, you will have to learn things about financials and regulatory and how you deal with this that that just comes with the territory mm. um, but those were necessities as opposed to the love that that led to it it's all very interesting <laughs> how did a self-confessed computer geek develop enough passion to actually go for it with a beauty company um, well I was actually in my one of my co-op tribe I was developing uh, software for a lab in, in, in skincare and it was a the technology market had crashed back then, so the dreams of my co-op term will be at Microsoft uh, wasn't happening. <laughs> so it ended up being in a, in a lab, and I actually really enjoyed it, except that um, I, I didn't understand. You know, what has happened is in the beauty world, everybody has accepted that it's just all about marketing. But when I say everybody, it's trickled down to the chemists. Like what's happened is the chemists know that their objective is not to create the next scientific breakthrough. Their objective is to make the marketing people happy. So it really has become about textures and woo, the colors that are hanging in the thing. Whereas a chemist's passion, when they go to the university and study, is chemistry. And that's why I kind of became a bit frustrated. I never thought, I mean, my first business was, I connected automotive um, financing deals to banks effectively through systems. Never thought that I would even remotely get close to the beauty business. Um, I was a computer geek in a basement. To me, like, I mean, I use soap to shave back then and, and I mean when I said Pizza Hut I didn't mean Pizza Hut I meant a hut made around me in the basement with Pizza Hut boxes because I'm developing um, so the, you know but, but what happens is when you start to get a bit angry when you start saying like I mean how can chemists not be focused on their how can an entire industry um, very kind of were the chemists whinging to you were they were they jaded no the opposite they were just they were numbed. Like it was like a, it's like a, life is easy. We, the texture is soft. It penetrates very fast, but water penetrates really fast. It's, it just, you're not creating anything. And eventually you get brainwashed enough to, to just accept that life is comfortable. My salary is growing and I need to make these people happy. Why fight it? Um, whereas when you start your own thing, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. The only thing that matters is I want to fight it. Um, and, and so that really, um, Kind of slowly got me into it, and then I, I made some money, so I made an investment in a in a somebody who wanted to start a beauty brand. Learned that 
<laughs> you can't just make an investment, you need to really start getting into business. So my last business, which um, uh, I guess many people know the name of, but I, I, I'm not particularly fond of them because I, left, I left my partnership kind of in a very bad way, just didn't get along really well. We're very close friends, got into business, and then we hated each other. And actually, friendship, you know, people say that friendship and business don't, don't mix. And, and at Desiem, it's the opposite because all my friends are at Desiem. Business is the best filter for friendship because the ones that didn't get, get through it just they were not your friends to begin with mm. they you just you were I mean everybody is happy if you sit in a room and order some alcohol and talk about things everybody can be your friend <laughs> and the, the reality is that business just allows you to really see the truth and realize that if you have five really good friends you're a very lucky person um, and, and that's basically you know where, where that came from but so when I left um, I decided that no more of that I, I need to have control of the business uh, no one's gonna tell me what to do and what not to do and not because I want to be the boss it's because at least I want to do what I believe in. So it's not, it's yeah. not a bossy yeah. thing. It's yeah. that you can't have, it's not, you can't have, the, the idea of you can't have three chefs in a room is not that the, the, one of them is a leader. It's just that you can't, someone believes in salty, someone believes in sweet, and the other one is, you know, likes Cambodian food. When you start mixing it, it just becomes something that doesn't exist. Um, so that's really where, when I started Desiam, um, one was I avoided any sort of, partnership that would allow anybody to dictate anything mm -hmm. but the second thing was that I wanted to do everything in-house because when you don't do everything in-house when you don't have your own manufacturing when you don't have your own lab you actually are or creative team in a way you are actually still allowing other people to dictate because um, you know when you go to a third-party manufacturer who typically ends up having their own lab which is why everybody does everybody just goes to a a third-party manufacturer of which there are millions and says oh well, I have an idea I want to create this line but the, the manufacturer makes money from making product mm. their business is not the creation of a new brand so they don't want to take a risk in a formula that might fall apart or make someone irritated or so their labs incentive is create a, a stable product as soon as possible so they go to an evolution of 100 bases that have already been tested 100 times. They take something and they add some new flavors and things into it. But the problem is eventually the consumer sees that through that. I mean, the first time you'll get through, the second time, eventually. I mean, you can walk into a retail store today and grab 10 different moisturizers. Ultimately, you start to come conclude that a lot of it is just the same thing. Um, um, and, and that's what I wanted to avoid. So by bringing all of that in-house, which is a big, you know, right now it all seems like, oh, well, that makes sense. You've got 300 products, but, but everybody starts with one product and two products and three products. So at that point to say, I want my own chemist, my own creative team, my own factory, well, you're taking a big, big, big risk. What was the first product? So the first product we launched was, um, it was Fountain, but actually just before that, Boots contacted us and said, they've got a really big problem. Um, so we were, we were just due to launch Fountain at Boots. Mm -hmm. um, it was supposed to launch in April, 2013. In February of 2013, Nicola, who's now a co-CEO, was the head of innovation buying, was launching Fountain, called me and said, um, uh, Brandon, I've got a big problem. <laughs> There's an Australian brand called Stop Hair that's, that's due to launch in March before, before Fountain in, in April in, in the Beauty Finds stand, it was called. And they couldn't pass the regulatory uh, in the EU because they had just created that safety report requirement from a safety assessment that was before that, or the PIS that you used to have. Um, and, and they said, Brandon, I don't know what to do. I've got his spot. We have marketed that we're launching this hair inhibiting product and, and I don't have a product and I don't know what to do. In a matter of 
two and a half weeks. Um, and what we actually had to do, we had to do accelerated stability. We had to release Paulus on quarantine. We had to, we paid 15, 16,000 pounds for regulatory, which was supposed to be 1,500 pounds because we had basically had to just everything last minute. Uh, and we launched the, the first inhibitive serum, which was basically my favorite basically for <laughs> two roots for Nicola to launch that. So our first official product was, was Fountain. Uh, and Inhibitive now is basically a product line under the chemistry brand as opposed to its own brand. Um, and then, so the favor basically Nicola paid back by, by joining us <laughs> eventually. But yeah, so that's how it evolved. Then we launched the chemistry brand, which was the hand chemistry product mm -hmm. as a thing. So all of that actually started because when I left my last business, um, I had a non-compete in facial anti-aging for, for three years. So f for three years, I actually, I mean, the functional beauty business is 90% skincare. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I couldn't do any skincare was really one of the hardest things because you had to start looking at, you know, hand and body aging. Again, it's a growing category, it's evolving, but it's a minuscule part of the industry. Um, and then we, the next one was Grow Gorgeous, which we sold to Hot Group eventually, and that was again the first product line to focus not on the hair itself, but but the actual, you know, the, the follicles and the health of the hair is growing up. Uh, and and you know, it's now it's not our baby anymore, but I really miss it because. The hair growth serum um, was really one of our most effective products, um, like in in any regard. Like it really was just such, such an extra, extraordinary product, and that um, it was very difficult to say goodbye to it because we, I mean, in the beginning we had, we never do before and afters, but somebody in and actually in one of the marketplaces online actually did their own before and after where they actually applied the product on half the face, half the half the hair. And it just blew out of proportion. We had no idea this person was doing it. Um, it. It got to a point where I think we were, like we went from a $1 million quarter business to, to a, like an $8 million quarter business and, and like just because of that one product. Wow. Um, so then that actually ended up facilitating. So timing was very good because when we sold that business to Hut Group, um, eventually that basically brought in the capital we needed without having to dilute anything to then put more infrastructure in place and that coincided with my non-compete ending. So that really fueled, uh, we went from two chemists to 14 chemists, like it really just allowed us to completely up the game innovation. Well, weren't you saying downstairs that you've gone from six to 14 chemists in the last year? Well, yeah, year? so that's what I mean, over the time. So, yeah. But that, but that effectively happened in a year and a half, really, post the, post the exit of, of the hot group transaction. Wow, yeah. That's it, incredible growth. It's incredible growth. And actually, the only reason, so we've got three more chemists that we've interviewed that I really want to hire. <laughs> we, genuinely, there's no room. So we, until we move into our new, new facility, I mean, when we, um, this will be our fourth move in the past four years. And when we moved into this current facility, because it's quite big, I really thought, oh, it's so peaceful. Our lab is now 2,200 square feet. There's lots of room. There's no room now. So mm -hmm. the new lab, which is 12,000 square feet, is going to really now give you more you know, space to have more chemists, to have more innovation, because... It, you know, the biggest um, thing you need in a lab is actually space because there are so many technologies you need to evaluate. I mean, what really goes, before you start formulating, the hardest job is curating mm -hmm. because everybody is selling something. And unlike the beauty business that's at least somewhat regulated, I mean, the providers of active technologies have no regulations, really. I mean, they, they, they do safety tests and so on, but everybody's promising, oh, this new algae is going to make your nipples bigger. The reality is you need to actually go and do your own analysis further and study. And, 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 and in fact, we're actually just doing uh, our own very expensive analysis to a, through a third-party lab on uh, a new molecule that, that is, is very hopeful to, to basically be the end of hair grain. 
but again, what, I mean, it, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, but again, it's a big thing. You, you can't just simply say, oh my God, this new molecule was discovered. You, you need to really push it far uh, to try to study. So we're going through now a six-month study on just the molecule itself. Um, and, and this is what actually happens because a lot of times we're criticized that, oh, it's moving so fast that they have no time to actually really care about things. Well, what's coming out today is the effect of what started a year and a half ago. It's, so what I'm talking about now is going to come in a year and a half. Um, and that's partially also why we can't put a break on it easily. It's not that I'm aware that things are out of stock and we're launching something, but what we're launching was already planned a year and a half ago, right. was coming together. And, um, um, but yeah, so that's Because there's no marketing strategy. So the way that other brands will work is that they will, there's a cycle, isn't there? Right. And right. it's very, it's somewhat rigid. There right. are times of year that people launch new, pro the brands will launch a new product. Right. But that's completely not how you operate. It's just, we can do this. Right, that's on the schedule. How long do you think it will be before it's on shelf? Okay, it needs to go through this. Right. So it's just, it, it is a juggernaut. It, it, it is. And, and you know, I think the reason there is no marketing strategy behind it is because I don't understand anything about marketing. I, I genuinely don't know what marketing means. Like if somebody goes to university to study mathematics, when they come out, I'm fairly certain that they can multiply. When somebody goes and studies chemistry, when they come out, it's very likely they know what pH means. But marketing is a very difficult thing because you could... You could have the most creative campaign, you could get everything organized together, you can do what marketing never does, which actually drive the audience to a store, go ignore every product and go pick up your product. And then they can pick up the product, open the bottle, smell it, oh, and put it back on the shelf. Mm. So who failed there? Was it marketing that failed? The customer didn't buy the product. Mm. Or was it the formulation? Was it everything you do is marketing. How you answer the phone is marketing. How you, every single thing you do is ultimately marketing. And so I don't fully understand it. But the other thing about marketing to me that's a little bit difficult, you know, how you create the first sale of a product can come in many ways. You can advertise very heavily. You can get a lot of PR. You can do any form of marketing. But that actually doesn't matter because the only thing that matters in business is does the customer come back to buy the second time? And that has nothing to do with marketing. You can sell the product with marketing the first time in many which ways. You can never sell a product a second time to the same customer because of marketing. That is all product related. Ultimately, and that's, you know, if you look at a pizza place, the pizza place that's always busy has very good pizza. Mm. The product is very important. So for me, in a way, it's like a baby that takes baby steps. I'm very One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Happy for a product to launch and not sell that much. <laughs> and then sell a bit more next time and then grow and then grow. It's just like a brand. A product to me is like a brand. Um, whereas when a product launches, big deal, we sold a million units. Well, that's a certainty that you're going to go on a decline path because a million people won't come back to buy it the next month. So whereas, it's the king of the waiting list. Yeah, king of, well, well, exactly, because you know what? It's not, we don't plan a waiting list. Nobody plans a waiting list. I, 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 sorry, you can plan a waiting list as a strategy, but it's just eventually, if you keep doing it, it becomes a, this is not an Hermes bag. It's a, it's a skincare. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I was talking about you behind your oh, back. Oh, right, right, right. But... When the whole hubbub about the ordinary foundation, um, I was having a text conversation with an unnamed person, right? Talking about, oh yeah, how do you get a waiting list of seventy thousand people? Right, right. You only produce a hundred units, and we right. were just because that's what we kind of right. knew was the thing. And then it then transpired. I think I spoke to the press office. Like actually, it was a hundred thousand, and it was not. Oh, it was. A, we didn't have. We hadn't produced. It was it. the biggest disaster I can. So, so our first waiting list was twenty five thousand. It got to twenty five thousand over about two and a half months since we announced it. So, when it got to twenty five thousand over two and a half months, in our calculation, we thought, okay, well, that probably means that five thousand are going to buy. This is what happens: twenty five people sign up, not everybody's going to buy. Mm-hmm. But five thousand, we've got forty two shades across the two things. How do you divide it? So, you make some analysis. We made a few, basically based on our thing, some foundation. In that process of that analysis, the waiting list went to 50,000. In about two weeks after that, it went to a few, you know, press articles came out. It hadn't launched yet. It went to about 75,000. We upped our production a little bit, which is not so easy because there are so many different components that come into it. When it launched in the first week, we sold 250,000 units. I, like Emma, I'm telling you, people think this is just the biggest thing. And, and, and in fact, when people said, oh, <laughs> there's no way there's that waiting list, I mean, I really wish there wasn't because when we got those orders and like what actually happened is because our system, we've got six warehouses, our own warehouses in in different countries. It's UK, US, Australia, Canada, South Korea. How you divide the stock is, is a bit of a, you have to guess, do a bit of guesswork. So when we put something in stock on our website, it is a function of does the company have it available? Because we basically recognize that if a customer really wants it in Australia and we have a stock in South Korea, doesn't matter how inefficient it is, we've got to find a way to get it there. And this is what, what we're doing to try to appease the customer actually in many cases hurts us because we're waiting for so long to get it. Well, the alternative would have been just not to have it. When that came through, I didn't know what to do because in between how we have divided the stock, and how the factory just needs to run around because we completely go out of stock when we don't have the ability to make the product. I think it was basically a month and a half later, we sent an email to everybody saying, look, in between the transfers, doesn't matter what we do, we are airshipping everything, there's nothing, it's gonna take probably more than a month for you to get it. And actually people are very understanding, very similar to what you were saying. Our audience um, really was too kind to us to come back and say, look, I'm very excited about this, I ordered this, but I'm gonna wait for you. Those are the kinds of things that you need to really um, love about the audience. It's not when, when somebody buys something good and they like it and say, oh my God, this is amazing. Well, of course, it's flattering to hear it, but you really feel humbled when something has gone bad 
and, and your customer, who should only be getting good things they've paid, comes and says, no, it's okay. Uh, that was really humbling. So yeah, I mean, it really was hell. I mean, we still haven't fully recovered. There's still two or three shares. This is now like from March. We haven't fully recovered. Uh, we've got still three or four shades that, well, many shades came back in stock and went out of stock again. Um, but it's until we move to our new facility, the foundations definitely would be a bit of an up and down game uh, because it's just like the demand for it became far that, too much. The, the buzz around that launch would have been a marketer's dream. Which we didn't do anything about. I mean, like, do you remember that there was no PR sample? I mean, just please go Listeners, back. Listeners, Dion is in the room. Dion is yeah. the PR. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah but, but I mean, when I say there was no PR sample, like, please just understand that the product launched on the day that PR received the samples. Mm. There was no PR sample. And then what happened was a lot of commitments we've made to editors, we couldn't fulfill because the customers had ordered. I couldn't possibly have customers knowing they're waiting and they go and see, oh my God, look, this, this blogger is talking about it because they've received their thing. Because then you're prioritizing marketing over an order. Um, so then actually- I had to wait quite. Quite a lot. I mean, I did get my sample. Thank you very much. No, but but really, it was a form, it was really from integrity. It wasn't, a lot of people got very angry at us that, how can I, do you not think I'm important to get this? Look, we're all people. Nobody's more important than not. But, and in fact, that, is, that, that mindset has definitely got us in trouble because some people really do think they're more important. But the, the reality of it actually is that you can't dishonor the customer. If this was before we had launched, I would fully understand if 10 people didn't get it. But if you've launched and you know it's sold out, to, to, to say, oh, okay, it's sold out, people are waiting, but here's your sample, mm. is, is sort of a thing. But yeah, no, we have never, I mean, I genuinely don't remember ever for us to try to create hype before a product launched. I mean, I, I, I don't think we've ever done it on anything. It's, it's well, then congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> how vital, because you mentioned bloggers then, how vital, particularly, I think, for the ordinary and neod, have people like Caroline Hirons and the bloggers who have seven years prior to these products coming out been providing the kind of information to a hungry beauty consumer about ingredients? How vital has that been to the success of the brand, do you think? Well, I think very vital because what actually happened is they brought trust and, 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 and trust is something that you need to um, you need that initial trust to be able to build on it. Okay? Like a baby needs to be born and then the baby can grow. Mm. Um, and, and, and ultimately, without the support of, of people who believe in you and trust you, you, you can't have that because I can say all they want. In fact, if you really think about it, um, the ordinary, if Desiem had started with the ordinary, I don't believe the ordinary would have been successful because people would have said, oh, well, it's a $5 hyaluronic acid, it cannot be good. But the fact that it was from Desiem and, and, and we had the trust built already allowed the initial audience to recognize that it's not just some scam business lying about it. It is a team of people that you can trust that are building it. And that trust was ultimately built with, yes, we kept doing good things and staying on it, but with the, with the kind of trust of people like Carolyn Hirons and, and other people. Um, um, the, the other thing that I think is really also important is that it has been genuine in that I don't think I've ever gone to Actually, I don't think. I know for a fact. I have never asked anybody, please write about our product. I have never done that. I've always said, look, this is what there is. You may connect with it. You may agree with it. You may disagree with it. Um, 
and, and they've, they've, they've written it on what they have believed in. And in fact, there are many things that Caroline doesn't like about the SEM. And, and I respect, I've never gone to Caroline and said, Caroline, you don't agree with this, but please write about it. <laughs> I, we've had, actually, we've had some really amazing email exchanges. I think Caroline is a perfect example of why you can actually have um, a, a very civilized conversation about things that you don't agree with. Mm. And then either I see it her, her way and she sees it her way, uh, my way, but I think that discussion is really important. And then obviously when you agree, because when you agree, there's no problem. I mean, mm. everything is, people, you know, we all agree that, you know, this, this floor is wood. Um, but th that's basically where, um, you know, it's been very vital. Um, but, but also what has been very vital, I think, for, um, for the consumer, because yes, it's been vital for us, but it actually has been vital for, for their audience. I think what's really happened is that um, the audience is now looking for content, mm. which, which is really very different. When The Ordinary launched, no one was looking for content in that our, our supporters were kind enough to learn about it and write about it. But then what happened was, the consumer fell in love with it and then actually started seeking content, which actually just was a benefit to everybody. The consumer was excited. The, um, the blog and editorial and basically the, in effect, what I call the larger media world was excited because it's much better to write content people are asking for mm. than to have to think of content. And obviously it benefited the SEM because we, in a way, we had a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, even from my side of writing about things, I think if ever I'm writing a feature and we're like, we want to write about one of the Ordinary's products, Nice Cinema is a really good right. example of that. I People started writing about that and vitamin B differently. Right. Which I thought was very interesting because the trigger was the product coming out and the, hey, this is actually a derivative, etc. And then other brands would bring out and all of a sudden, vitamin B is ha having its moment. Right, right, right. No, absolutely, absolutely. You know, you know it's the truth. And actually, what happens, um, it really does become two things happen. One is, you know, it's a bit like if you, if you hear a word in English, for example, that you may not have heard before. Yes. All of a sudden, you start noticing it. So it's yes. that effect, because you notice more, but yeah. also there's more, so two things coinciding. Yeah. But more people are talking about it, but you also notice it more. So it just comes out, uh, you know, more. But I also think that, what, you know, what's really interesting uh, this I'm just going back to your thing about how um, how crucial have people like Carolina and obviously the, yeah. the larger supporters have been. You know, as a brand, we have to button up, and button up means um, you shouldn't use retinoids during pregnancy because there are some studies that suggest such, and there are some regulations in some countries around it. But the real truth is that those studies were on, you know, a specific retinoic acid at certain concentrations, which is prescription. And the effect wasn't clearly drawn, like it was a lot of gray area. So it really ultimately comes down to a bit of a choice. As a brand, we can never communicate that. But someone like Caroline can, because it is your choice. It, it, it is, there is definitely not a certainty that using retinoids, especially the modern ones, are gonna ca cause you know, birth defects. In fact, it's extremely unlikely because for, for the retinoid to penetrate that far past the skin to get into bloodstream and to what concentration you're using, I mean, you're talking about 0.1% in a bottle like this and a drop that you put in, what, it's just very unlikely. But as a brand, you need to say it. Or for example, the education around, you know, one of the points that, um, actually Caroline and I have never talked about it, but 
indirectly, it seems like we disagree on it, is the use of neosinamide and ascorbic acid. Um, the, the truth actually is that our first neot ethylated ascorbic acid actually had neosinamide in it because we're very proud of the fact that ethyl ascorbic acid doesn't interact with neosinamide like ascorbic acid. I wanted to bring both together. Eventually, we included, because superoxide dismutase actually forms a better network with it, so we eventually changed it to that. But, but depending on what other things you're going to use, for example, um, some people who have, let's say, ascorbic acid powder that they mix with other formulations at the time of mixing, if you actually mix that into the formula, in other words, if you go and take ascorbic acid and mix it into the formula and say, okay, I now have my formula I can use for a few weeks, you definitely are going to cause oxidation much faster than if you didn't. But if you mix it each time, the oxidation will accelerate, but over the next day or so that it's on your skin, any residual effect is very minimal. But as a brand, if we say it mildly, people might start doing that. Whereas if you take a very strong stance saying, you shouldn't mix them, then people will just be more cautious about it. Whereas Caroline can be very open about it. Caroline doesn't need to be the chemist. So in a way, they have also, that, that the, the larger media team has allowed us to communicate things that we normally wouldn't be able to so direct about as a brand in a more kind of highlight the gray areas basically yeah relaxed way right 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 interesting you are hard to keep up with when you talk about ingredients (laughs) (laughs) i really spend like i think my eyes rolled into the back of my head for a second i really spend time in the lab for me if you don't know what you're making you shouldn't be in that business it's really important it's how does a computer geek go to being a science geek go to be being a product geek uh, well, it's you, you know you do your best learning when you want to learn. I mean, university is very inconvenient. Did you just literally go into a lab one day and go, "Oh, right, I'm home"? Oh, I spent um, actually no. I, the only course in my whole life that I failed is chemistry when I was in university because I had no interest in it. I didn't want to learn chemistry. Whereas when I got into this, all I wanted to learn was chemistry. It's almost like you know the reason Google has become a really good source of learning for people is because you are googling when you want to learn which is very different than going to a classroom where it's not at your timing, it's when they want to teach yeah. you something. So when you're receptive to learning, you do the best learning. And so, I mean, when I say I spend 30% of my time in the lab, I really mean I spend two, three hours a day, every single day in the lab. So you eventually, be, I mean, that becomes your next university. And I mean, we've got the most amazing team. I, 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 like I, one day you'll meet Pruvi, who's the, who's the lead, lead of it. And I mean, I, the love, if you, if you don't know Prudvi, it's very difficult to explain who he is. He is the most humble. And I actually think the reason he has managed to innovate so much is his humility. Because he would make the most unbelievable discovery, make the thing, we file a patent on, it's very exciting. And yet, the slightest bit of criticism that might not even matter, he will go back and start looking at every angle. He's not even disappointed. He, just, it is unbelievable. Like, I mean, I, I am really so lucky that I can't, I can't even, you know, put How it in words. Um, actually, he started as uh, as an assistant to a much more experienced chemist because I thought, you know what, chemistry is really important. Let me hire somebody who's got 55 years of experience. He started as, a, as an assistant, um, on, I mean, on an unbelievable salary. I mean, I'm actually embarrassed that he started on that. It was about three years ago. And then every night at 11 o'clock, 11 p.m., I would have to go kick him out of the office because he was still there. And he was like, no, Brandon, I'm just trying this. And, um, and it got to a point where the lead chemist back then became actually irritated at Prudy because he was constantly coming up with new ideas and adjustments and basically he was not able to take the criticism 
that was indirectly mm -hmm. made by the improvements. So eventually he became the lead chemist and, and, and then uh, the other chemist couldn't stand it anymore. So he, he I mean, th these are an ego plays a role. But it's the best thing that ever happened. You, um, you have to give opportunity to people that are the most passionate about doing something because they're the ones that, if you get pleasure of doing something, mm -hmm. you will do it really well. If you're just paid to do something, you'll do the bare minimum necessary to achieve the objective. Um, but yeah, so that's where it comes from. But you know, in a way, our customers have become that. You know, if you, if you, like if you look at The Ordinary, most people who visit The Ordinary website have probably heard of hyaluronic acid and, and they see it as a product, they click on it. But most people who go to the website have never heard of ascorbyl tetraisopalmitate. It's one of the products. Well, what happens is when they start using product from the ordinary, they slowly start actually researching the mm. other product. So they start copying and pasting ascorbyl tetraisopalmitate into Google and yeah. seeing what there is. And all of a sudden it becomes, our introduction of products actually becomes a form of education mm. for, the, for the customer, which is also really important. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, Chemistry becomes really interesting when you delve into it. So you've created this incredible business. It's huge. I mean, you come over here and your time is ridiculous because everyone wants a piece of you. Um, you have a huge business on QVC. You sell out, of, you've got the Covent Garden store and the Spitalfield store, and it's just growth, 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 growth. And you talked before about having some money from a previous business that they then used into this one. We cannot have a discussion with you on this visit without talking about the recent announcement. Right. That, and it was worded very carefully, but that um, the Estee Lauder companies have, um, what was the exact wording? Better well, to come from you. Have, well, they just invested for a minority position. There you go, yeah. invested for a minority position. Right, right. So does that mean you can still walk into your facility and say, I own 51% of this company? Oh, it's, it's <laughs> way more than 51%. i am joking, that's, no. a, that's a Joan Collins reference. No, no, but it's the truth. No, but so first of all, when I say minority, I don't mean 49 point something. I mean minority. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's significantly lower than 49. But what happened on social media when that was announced right. was quite shocking, actually. Yeah. There was a very strong reaction from people. These these people who trust you, right. who will wait on uh, a bottle of foundation for one to two months because right. they have this emotional connection now right. with your brand, feeling that in some way that was um, the integrity of the brand was perhaps potentially going to be lost, right. or that it wasn't what they expected. Right. Right. What's your reply to that? Um, so, so you know, when when the transaction happened. Um, pretty much everybody advised me that it doesn't make sense to go and make a public announcement on social about it. It's just a business story. And I thought, in fact, a competitor of Estee Lauder who was also involved in a potential investment with SEM, after I made the announcement on social, they actually sent me a note saying, oh, I hope you have a good PR agency because everybody is really freaked out about, um, about doing this. But I actually think that's ridiculous. You have to. You, you can't say, oh, we have integrity, but on Thursday afternoons we're a prostitute. If you're gonna have integrity and be honest, you can't hide, because eventually people will find out. You have to have integrity on every level. To me, if I'd done something bad, I would say we've done something bad. I wanted that reaction. I was actually very happy, because it shows that people really love you. So now what you need to do is you need to make sure that you explain so people see your reasoning. In fact, when people worried about the integrity or our approach changing, I mean, if you look at the past two months, it's gotten worse. I mean, we are now launching products left, right, and center. We've gotten much more ridiculous with our videos and the things that we're doing. 
you would never see an effect like this at Estee Lauder because what you know obviously it was a very difficult decision. Why was it difficult? Um, well, because ultimately, minority or not, it's somebody else's money. You need to respect what you do in the business. So you need to be careful that you don't disappoint your shareholders. And also, you said previously that because of a business perhaps gone wrong, you never wanted to be accountable. Uh, exactly. Well, I want to be accountable, but I don't want to be... I want accountable to be... for somebody else's decision. Uh, exactly, exactly. And, and so uh, really what happened was, so we had, you know, five years ago, nobody was at the table. We were looking for money. There was no private equity firm. There was no private individual. There was no estate lawyer. There was no company. Whereas this time around, it was the exact opposite. Every private equity firm was on the table. Every conglomerate was on the table. Many private individuals were on the table. And the problem is people you know, perceive this thing that happened. Um, if we had taken money from one of the uh, private equity firms, no one would have reacted on social. Great, VCM is growing. But, but how do you think private equity firms make their money? They make their money by investing in something like SEM and then selling it to a conglomerate. Mm -hmm. So if the concern is that the money somehow has related someday to animal testing, well, I can assure you, the money of private equity and consumer goods has all come from animal testing eventually because they've sold it to a conglomerate. But the problem for me wasn't that because I am responsible for my actions. The reason we don't test on animals is because one, I think it's completely unnecessary for cosmetics. And two, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to walk around and go to sleep at night thinking that my product went into some rabbit's eyes. It's just, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. I, in fact, if a product comes out that requires animal testing, I decide not to do it because I just don't want that feeling. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, you didn't decide to become a surgeon because you don't like to cut people up. I don't want to be involved in it. So, um, people who were concerned about that, for me, the the most innocuous form was to go directly to that because it's an investment. It's not money that's come from a third party that effectively is get the money from that. It's the most honest form, but. The biggest thing is that a private equity firm, you need to sign that within three to five years, we're gonna sell the business to a conglomerate. So two things are clear about that. One, I am out because I promise you, no amount of money can keep me in a business that somebody else completely controls. I'm just, that's who I am. And the second thing about it is that you're then guaranteeing that eventually it's gonna become animal tested by a conglomerate that's gonna go because it's something you can you know, control. Whereas this way, that's not the case. There's no commitment that one day we need to sell out or they can acquire majority or any of that. It's all at the discretion of, in fact, I will not leave when someone tells me what, you know, that I should leave. I will leave when I just have no longer anything to contribute or I don't like it anymore. That you cannot, you need to be happy as a person. So as long as I enjoy what I'm doing and there's more to do and we can do exciting things, why would I leave and, 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 and try to then create new happiness for myself? Um, so that's basically you know, where that decision really come, came from. But the other part was that when it came within the conglomerates, if you really look at the recent acquisitions, the company that has really left the recent investments alone is Estee Lauder. They bought Le Labo, they bought Frederick Mell, they bought um, uh, you know, Too Faced, they, bought, they didn't change anything. They didn't take them to China. They didn't replace the founder. In fact, they're doing, the, I mean, they're actually basically allowing the founders to do whatever they want just to keep them because they have no money incentive to stay anymore because they've got the money, obviously. But, but that, that, that hasn't happened in the other acquisitions. If you look at the more unnamed mm -hmm. but obvious acquisitions, everything has changed. They've become the larger company. Mm -hmm. So for me, what Estee Lauder did 25 years ago and brought two brands and grew them really bad and went to China and so forth is not what's happened today.
So I'm not saying what approach is right or wrong. This approach is right for me because I want the company to stay. Because Estee Lauder has recognized that what they are investing in is people, a DNA that is different than theirs. Otherwise, you end up basically having the same formulas, the same people doing the same thing, effectively a little bit like what has happened to editorial, where the same article is happening everywhere. It basically becomes the same product that ends mm -hmm. up being everywhere. Um, so that really was, was that decision. They have, you know, none of those words were exaggerated words. They have treated us like a complete family. I mean, when I say, like, from Leonard Lauder to Fabrizio to, I mean, first of all, Leonard, I cannot believe how involved he is, how much, how much knowledge he has about this. I mean, the guy is worth $9 billion. He's over 80. He doesn't need to. There's no more success you can have. He's there because he enjoys doing it, and he's not just sitting there putting his feet out on the table. He really just, the first thing he told me was, uh, you know, about distribution channels in the U.S. and what it was doing and what we're doing. I need to get Leonard on this podcast, don't I? Yeah, well, no, I mean, he's the most, he's so humble that it's actually difficult to, 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 I mean, to, to, to actually see. I mean, you it's look just, a bit emotional there talking Well, yeah, about because him. it really was. I mean, I had a lot of negative opinions about Estee Lauder before this happened. In fact, the first day they came to the office, I basically told them that, look, we're not in a corporate thing and you're actually late because we already have offers from other people. Um, because I really thought it was just a very corporate... Um, Estee Lauder is a public company with a soul because there's ultimately two, three people at the top that are family. And they're running it and they and they control 90 percent. I mean, this is the thing that to it's the only conglomerate that is 90 percent controlled by a family that started it that doesn't apply to any other thing so to me it was by far the first choice the best choice um but even if i'm mistaken maybe i misjudged it i mean the contracts are are there <laughs> they it's, it's very simple uh, um so yeah that's that's basically what led to that it's allowing us i mean the effect of that investment hasn't you know things take time to happen, but we're now building a new facility, there are new uh, systems coming in place, our team is growing. So what that's gonna lead to really in six months time, a year's time is less out of stock issues, more, more innovation, uh, more updates, because one of the biggest things about this game is that we're constantly evolve, evolving our formulations to always be on the edge of new things that come out. Now this is a nightmare. Like when we announced or we launched SDSM2, it sounds like a social post. The number of retailers that need to switch their product over to the other thing, the regulatory registration, the new testing you need to do, I mean, it's a complete nightmare. Um, but I, I can't see any other way. Because if you don't do it, you're, you're, you're telling basically indirectly to the customer that, oh, there's better things, but we're actually still the, the, the one that's not as good. Um, Just, I got lost again. Of course. STM2. No, SDSM is the ST Neot Superoxide Dismutase Saccharide Mist. So it's a very complicated name, but it's basically a mist that effectively has uh, a superb form of, uh, people call it antioxidant, but actually it, it's the one that superoxide dismutase binds to the superoxide radical, which is basically the worst one. Um, and and, and it's, it's quite difficult to, it's, it's the best thing in the world. Uh, in fact, if we could somehow keep it bioavailable, if you ingest it, we probably would effectively stop aging. Uh, but it's not. I mean, topically, it has all kinds of effects. In fact, there's so many studies on it. But if you ingest it, it completely disappears. So, um, which is the opposite of many things. Like, for example, collagen mm -hmm. topically has no value whatsoever. It's just basically a moisturizer. Whereas if you ingest it, it actually ends up, it ends up working in an interesting way because the ingestion actually breaks it down. So it actually doesn't get that. You don't get collagen buildup from ingesting it. But that breakdown actually triggers your body to think that you've lost collagen and produces more collagen. Yeah. So again, topically, there's no effect otherwise. So there are, there are no balances. But the key is to just stay updated, really. And, and that, that, to me, is very important. So again, that investment allows us to do that as well as other things.
Now you're an entrepreneur. Do you prefer, are you happy with that title? Happier with that than CEO? Um, yeah, I think... Um, I, I mean, I genuinely really don't know what either means. <laughs> well, not really, because... No, I agree with you yeah, in many ways. I mean, but, but I do my own thing. I mean, but, but in a way, but basically that, that's exactly what you're doing. I mean, when, when, when you say freelance, I mean, freelance means entrepreneur, means CEO, means, means all those things. It means you're prepared to take a big risk because the first thing you do may not work, the second thing might work, it may just never work. Mm. So that the problem, if, if it was a certainty that you will eventually make it, then everyone would just go on. But when I say make it, the only thing that was on my mind two years ago is, can we make the next payroll? Because it's not your mortgage, it's 50 people's mortgage back then. So you need to now think about that problem 50 times. Mm. So when, you're, when you take that risk, and that's what I call an entrepreneur. Um, but ultimately, I'm a founder. I mean, I, I end up actually undeservingly taking a lot of credit for the works of many other people. Because sure, I founded it. Sure, I'm really excited about it. I happen to be you know, connected to it. But the reality is today, I can actually just sleep all day, do nothing. The company will continue growing in some fashion, and I still take the credit for it. So it's been good that I'm still staying on it. But ultimately, I am taking credit for the works of some amazing people in the company. But I, I feel it in your energy that you take that very seriously. Very seriously. Like to me... The fact that you even talk about it's someone's ability to pay their mortgage. Oh. I mean, if you can't... Um, if you don't personally get impacted by what goes on by your team and your products and so on, you're not an entrepreneur. But a lot of businessmen will say, but you can't, you can't, you can't bring the person into it. You've got, yes. I don't know who that is an impression of, but they would say you have to draw a line between business. Well, they say that, and then and then they cheat with their secretary. I mean, you're people. I mean, like the problem is we are people, and so I don't know how you cannot bring business into your personal life. I mean, it, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, how can you go and spend your life building a business, and then oh, I entered my home, I've forgotten about it. I mean. I feel the same way, yeah. and that was that was a big thing for me, and I don't know if anyone else listening relates to this, but I definitely knew very early on in my life, but it took me a long time to figure out what it was. I never wanted a job that I clocked in and out of, yeah. ever. Oh, no, absolutely. I wanted a job, or um, I wanted a vocation that was me. Right, right. No, and absolutely, absolutely. I mean, this morning when I woke up, there was a, somebody sent an email about some, some company had launched a product with something that was something, and for a second, I started to second guess something that we had done. Now, why? We had done all the research. We know about it. We're so excited about it. I love Prudy. I know that he's very thing. Why am I reading something completely unrelated and second guessing? So I'm standing in the shower. The level fragrance is really amazing. I'm very happy. But all I'm thinking about is that thing that I read. I don't think that's working. That's no different than, you know, if, if I cut my knee and I was in the shower, I would still feel the same way. Mm. You are the person that's doing this. It's part of your life. Mm. Um, but the other thing is that I also don't think it's work. I enjoy doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the worst thing that can happen is boredom. I think the reason prison system works is because you get really bored in prison. Like, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, don't do it. Mm. I mean, sure, there might be a necessity for a while and that's okay. I'm okay with any dark tunnel as long as there is some light somewhere. So yes, we all have to go through a job we don't like and so on, but ultimately, you need to build your life around something you really want to do. And you've been through a dark tunnel, haven't you? Oh, I mean, it has been 
my first job was in a theater, which uh, I didn't want to clean the bathroom. I, I was supposed, I was hired to do um, sell tickets, and uh, like a movie theater, or I guess you call it cinema. Um, and I just said, look, I don't want to. I, I have nothing against it, but I just don't want to clean the bathroom. I, I'm not into it. And they said, oh no, no, this is a ticketing job. Anyway, one day they made me clean the bathroom. And I basically grabbed the, the, the foaming product they had, the, the, the surfactant, and put it all over the mirrors everywhere, splashed all the water into it, basically made a whole foam in the bathroom. And I left because, look, the reality is it was psychologically, it, 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 I clean my toilet. I'm okay with it. I am very humble in many regards, but something bothers you. You don't want to do it. It, it brings me psychological things to think about it. I don't want to do it. It's, I'm happy to clean anything else. just want to do it. You promised me I wouldn't. That to me was at a time where I had no family, there was no money. When I say no money, I was going through school, there was no money. Um, and I walked out because ultimately I wanted money to be able to do things that make me a bit happy. Well, if making it is the cause of my unhappiness and I just walk out, I'm already happier, well, then it's doing the same effect. Um, but then also, Look, as an entrepreneur, you also go through dark tunnels. I mean, ultimately, the only way to success, unless you win a lottery, is failure after failure after failure. You, it's the only thing. I mean, people just need to realize the only, like, any success is the sum of many failures. And those are the dark tunnels. I mean, and the failure goes from whole business failures down to individual product failures, down to the wrong hiring. I mean, just one wrong hire can make you the most miserable person for, for a long time. Uh, those are all individual failures. Um, but I guess what really matters, and, and this is partially why, you know, people think that, oh, money motivates everybody. Well, money motivates everybody when, when the only thing that you're lacking is money. It's like oxygen. If, if, you're, if you're swimming and your head is underwater, you can't breathe. You can't think about your children. You can't think about your anything. All you can think about is, I have to have oxygen. Mm -hmm. So yes, when money is oxygen and you run out, you can't pay your payroll. It really doesn't matter what a consumer thinks on social. The only thing that matters is I've got to make payroll. But once your head comes over water and you can breathe, well, it really doesn't matter if it's an enclosed swimming pool or the entire planet. You can breathe. Um, and, and, and that's where money doesn't become a motivator. Then you start looking at, okay, well, maybe this direction is more beautiful. Maybe this water is warmer. Maybe we can have... And, and that's where, you know, I think, um, I think that, that dark tunnel is not always just about money. It's also about direction and what you're doing. Talking of zeros and ones again, I slightly worry about your adrenal glands and the adrenal glands of the people around you because you go at a hundred miles per hour. <laughs> right, right, right. Dion, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> 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 because I don't know how you keep up with him. Um, how do you switch off? Um, see, for me, this is off. Like, I, when I say it's off, I'm peaceful. I, I'm not, for me, the pace is peaceful. If I... I know where I get stressed is when I mean I try to take what people call a vacation because I, I don't to me a vacation is escaping from something but I don't want to escape. Mm -hmm. um, when I went away for two you know three days uh, last year uh, during Christmas I mean I all that I was thinking about was Desi and there was nothing wrong I wasn't worrying about something but I was missing what I was doing um, so for me it's really off but what really what 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 creates negativity and stress and what I call work for me is again when you've got people issues when you've made the wrong hires or when something is wrong or if you um, you know if you if you have to look over your shoulder basically that's when I feel negative mm. if, if you're peaceful fast is okay it's it's a uh, it's 
it's it's like a um, you know I'm Glide I'm not rushing <laughs> I'm I'm just going fast and that's where I kind of uh, I don't. I feel that this is switching off. But do you enjoy? Do you enjoy the successes when they happen? Do you know what they are? Um. Yeah. But but you know what's interesting? Success happens way before. It's kind of announced. Like for me, um, like when repigment was formulated, because it kept failing, and we have to keep deciding: do we dilute this? Do we reduce this? Do we reduce that? And, but when it happened, and when it was stable, and it was in the fridge, it was stable, it was in the oven, it was stable, and when Pretty came and said, oh my God, it's, it's been 21 days, oh, it's been 22 days, it's been 23 days, there's no saturation. I mean, that's when you feel the success. When it actually launches, um, it's kind of just really after the fact. Like, it's, it's almost like, a, you know, let, if, if you go every day to the gym to build abs, for example, when do you feel most happy about yourself? When you one day go in front of the mirror and you see you've built it, or when one day somebody on the beach says nice abs? Well, your first impression actually comes when you when you saw your success. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like an ongoing ongoing thing around it. But I also see failure um, as a like I've come to accept it as a function and a necessity of success. So it used to really bother me. Like the smallest things used to really bring me down to the point where I would just I couldn't eat properly until they would. But you actually learn to see what it is. It's, it's just, you, you just need to accept that it takes 25 bricks to build a 25 brick wall. And so failure is one of those bricks. And, and, and it just becomes a, a, lot, a lot more, it almost becomes like a law of physics. If you drop something, it falls. And you just need to accept that as part of that law, the law of entrepreneurship is that failure comes. Um, and it just makes it more peaceful. It's all, I think if you can accept that, yeah, failure is... Um creates backbone, creates strength, makes, there are mistakes I'm sure that, I mean, you talked about um, friendship and business. Right. You would never make that mistake again. Therefore, you move forward knowing that that's one, that's one way you're going to live that will ensure that you don't have to encounter that pain or upset right. again. Right. And actually, a lot of it is also subconscious. Um, you know, learning from mistakes, if you, if you can grab a notebook and write, oh, I learned from this mistake not to do this. You actually didn't learn anything. The, the learning is, is, is very, very, very subconscious. It's the constant immediate failures and small and bits that all just build your character in business or in, in creating things. And what I think people refer to as a gut feeling or an instinct is actually a very powerful thing, powerful thing because it's the, it's the invisible summary of a tremendous amount of experience and failures that are built up inside you. It's not just, you know, people say, oh, you should never hire by instinct. You should hire based on this analysis that you look at these resumes and references. Resumes and references don't make people. So that gut feeling is ultimately actually a summary of so many things you've had that, that may lead I to decisions. That but it is, it's the truth. Yeah. It's, it's a, and that's why a 15 year old has different instincts than a 60 year old who's been doing things for many years. The instincts change because it's not just the gut feeling, it's, it's learnings. That's fascinating. Now I'm mindful that um, you have a packed schedule, but I do want to draw the conversation to a close. Thank you so much for yeah. talking to me really, about Desio. No, really my pleasure, absolutely. <laughs> really my pleasure and, and thanks for everyone to listen, uh, for listening. But uh, definitely would love to have, have you in Toronto one day. It would be really fascinating for you to see this.
Girls trip, course. Caroline Hirons, Nadine yeah. Baggett. Absolutely. Oh my God, the, the three of you would... One, you would fall in love with Essien, but also I can become a lot less politically correct when, when we're drunk. So, so I, can, I can really talk about things. I'm, I'm down. I'm down. Excellent. <laughs> listeners, it's on tape. Thank you so much. Thank and, you. And um, all of the links, uh, listeners, will be in the show notes, which are over on emmaguns.com. And I'll also be cherry picking out my favorite products um, and why uh, in those show notes as well. But in, for now, thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Did you keep up? <laughs> now, before you go, just wanted to let you know that if you do want to get in touch with the show, it's so, so easy. Simply email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or you can DM me on social media. And the ones where I'm most active are Twitter and um, Instagram, where my handle is at Emma Guns. And if you are enjoying the show, I'd be so grateful if you could go over to iTunes and leave a star rating and a written review just to say what you liked about it. Join me again in the next episode where I have another exciting guest. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and uh, have a great week. <laughs>